Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Well, wasn't that a fantastic Jummah? Well, it's always a fantastic Jummah and it doesn't matter really what happens to you on the day. I mean, even if you die, it's still a blessing. <laughs> what a day. Yeah, yeah. Equal, equivalent to two Eids, can you imagine that? And Allah Ta'ala gives it us once a week. Well, alhamdulillah, the week has come to an end and uh, quite an eventful week it was, including here at Malka Sahaba, we... Uh, we had a blackout last night. Well, we didn't have a blackout last night. We were busy, we were busy um, uh, rewiring uh, our whole building. And, uh, well, I'm afraid the work just continued and continued and continued and continued. So as a result of that, you're unable to get to any uh, of the show last night. Uh, but, well, mm, I don't know if there's good news or bad news. You've got two hours of me tonight. Yes. Two hours of me tonight, and oh, it's not a matter of Mufti AK making sure he gets uh, bang for his buck out of his employees. We're not really employees, we're more like customers and brothers here at Marka Sahaba. Not customers, uh, what do you call it? Just brothers here. We 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 really like uh, do like getting along well. Um, and a very nice team it is, I must say. I'm, I'm really enjoying myself here. And uh, I hope I hope you lot are too out there. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Um, well... Uh, so, we didn't have anything yesterday, but today, tonight you've got two hours of me, and going forward, you're going to have two hours of me, inshallah, every single Friday night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's, it's not going to be a pure economic show for two hours, uh, economics and business and whatever else goes along with money, which is a lot of things, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very wide topic indeed, I must say. Uh, uh, no, the second half, uh, from uh, eight to nine... Uh, I'm going to be presenting a new legal affairs show. Um, I've been thrown into the deep end here. Uh, uh, and, uh, well, um, uh, but I, I have studied law, LLB at WITS. I didn't complete it. I, I did it two years while working at the Star newspaper in 1993-94. Oh, boy, it's amazing. It's amazing, you know, um, how uh, daily danger can kind of like... Um, get your adrenaline flowing and uh, you know, when I think back on those on those years you know uh, studying full-time LLB at WITS during the day and um, and working at the star by night uh, I was the star's uh, night shift reporter uh, so you know I'd find myself heading out to um, uh, small little unknown squatter settlements like Mzimplope in the middle of Soweto and so on uh, to go and head off like IFP attacking and those kind of things. Oh, all those days are behind us. But, well, they did seem to put a bit of energy into my into my bloodstream. And, uh, yeah, waking, you know, going to sleep at half past 12, 1 o'clock at night. Your mind's still racing. Sometimes you only fall asleep at 3 and then you've got to be up at, uh, for a double lecture three days a week in my first year. And uh, the same actually went for my second year. Three days a week, double, uh, double lectures, first thing in the morning, quarter to 8 to 9 o'clock, you'd be sitting there. Um, but uh, yeah, well, it did, it did give me it did give me a good introduction. Actually, it was the reason why I then moved into business journalism, as into general general journalism in those days was just so much more fun uh, that I just couldn't like um, even countenance the idea of doing business journalism. Like what sellout journalism? That's what business journalism is. And well, uh, you know, largely to a large extent today, it continues to be so. Uh, business journalists uh, in business publications in South Africa largely kind of like um, clustered around um, 
providing uh, providing uh, nice news on companies as they produce their financial results towards the end of the year. Um, JSE changed its rules. Um, um, when was it? Around about 2004. Uh, that required uh, listed companies to advertise their results in at least two newspapers. Uh, as newspapers went into decline, as the JSE's SENS uh, office started taking off the stock exchange news service, uh, so um, it was felt that you know what is uh, is need to publish in newspapers is is a bit archaic, a bit old-fashioned, and uh, so that need was taken away, causing a devastation in um, advertising revenues for newspapers. Um, uh, but they only woke up to the idea about uh, ten years later. Um, it's amazing that, uh, you know, these <laughs> these guys are supposed to be advising people on uh, on financial and business issues, and they can't even see that, like, you know, there's a big iceberg approaching, and they're the Titanic. Uh, well, anyway, um, as a result of that, um, my legal studies in 1998, I moved into financial journalism, taking over as a night editor of Business Report. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, as a result of all of that, um, in many years in business journalism, I was also editor of The Citizen, working at MoneyWeb uh, for many years, producing uh, The Citizen's business pages from MoneyWeb. Well, it uh, kind of like gives you a, a good kind of like um, a guy sidelines view of what's going on in business. It also gives a good sidelines view of business journalists. Business journalists, by and large, in South Africa seem to believe that they are their role in society is to provide um, good news stories uh, for um, the businesses who are advertising, uh, good news stories for big business in general, and basically to represent big business, usually at the expense of their readers. Yeah, you guys out there um, are being fed a whole lot of uh, brain-damaging uh, information uh, that you, in large respects, would be better off without. Um, and really, you need to be an expert in terms of business journalism, law, business, and Human and humanity, human frailty. If you want to be a business journalist, I think. Um, uh, because if you want to be an honest, uh, honest to goodness uh, journalist in business journalism today, you're probably going to find yourself at loggerheads in a very short space of time with your editor, uh, as well as with chief executives and so on. And uh, if you don't watch your way, you very well may lose your soul and your akhirah as well. Uh, so anyway, that's just a little bit of a, a, advice for anyone who's thinking of going into business journalism. Um, mm, yes, so don't do it. Run, run. <laughs> that's my advice. Run. Don't get into business journalism. Stay away. Oh, don't. Yeah. Well, well, what is it about that? I'm singing that song. Don't put your daughter on the stage, Mrs. Worthington, or something like that. There was a song a few years ago. Don't let get into business journalism either, Mrs. Worthington. Mm. Okay, so anyway, let's get, uh, that's uh, a bit of my sort of legal and business background uh, there for you, just ahead of, you know, me launching into my legal affairs show uh, after after 8 o'clock. So yeah, two hours of Alameen Templeton tonight and for the foreseeable future going forward every Friday night. Don't know what you want to make of that. Um, well, look, you know what? Uh, uh, my, my, my experience with television on a Friday night is it doesn't have much to offer. Uh, usually they're kind of like um, counting on, uh, you know, the Nasara being out getting drunk on a Friday night. So they kind of like uh, tend to tone down uh, their offerings. So you know what? If you want something entertaining on a Friday night, switch off that TV set 
and listen to Marka Sahaba or um, Radio Al Ansar, which has apparently also been um, broadcast on. And uh, well, Alhamdulillah, Assalamu Alaikum to all the uh, Al Ansar radio listeners as well. I uh, hope all of you are having a good time down there in KwaZulu Natal. And well, you know, as it is on the Modak. Um, Decoder everywhere else in the country as well. In fact, all the way across Africa and anywhere that a satellite uh, signal can reach. So basically, it's almost international. And if you've got free data or cheap data or access to someone else's data, as sometimes happens in this world, as I, I learned to my cost a few years ago, um, yeah, you can get us, uh, you can uh, uh, stream us as well on uh, the internet. So. Mm. It's amazing, it's amazing what um, technology can do nowadays. Anyway, getting down to the news of the day. Um, and coming up in the show, uh, coming up in the show, the oil price, uh, oil price, exploding oil price, exploding tankers, furious presidents, and a jaded public. We'll be having a look at what's happened to the oil price, what's happened to world opinion, what's happened to Donald Trump. Uh, in the space of two tankers, again, mysteriously exploding in the Gulf of Oman. I, me, I seriously, I, I suspect uh, apartheid Israel, Nazi Israel has been the main suspects in any of that going on. They're always trying to get the United States to attack Iran, aren't they? Um, so, yeah, my number one suspect in all of that is either D- D- Donald Trump himself, Jared Kushner, or um, uh, what's that idiot in charge of uh, Nazi Israel, that Nazi in charge of Nazi Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. Yeah. Anyway, jockeying for position to be at the helm of oil prices and World War III. This is what's happening with the major oil producers in the world today. We'll be having a look at that. More than half of shares on the JSE have lost value over the past year. What does that mean for your pension savings? NASPAS preferential shares shock Europe. Unaccustomed to the rough and ready um, style of uh, the JSE, uh, Europeans are waking up to the fact that they're going to have a new uh, tech champion as Nospaus is uh, starting its new listing in Amsterdam. And uh, the tech champion, uh, well, you know, as I say, it, uh, in many ways um, reflects the worst of Europe's uh, chickens now coming back home to roost. And uh, they bring in uh, all the worst habits that they took away from Europe when they left 300 years ago. They're bringing it back again. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit like, you know, um, white nations now suddenly resurrecting uh, racism and Nazism. You know, after, after all of those years, after all of those years, it's amazing. I just like that. It just pops back up again as though it hadn't gone away at all. Uh, and it is really, you know, for as being a white man myself, it is quite uh, quite sickening. And I'm glad to say that I live in Indonesia and I don't have to put up with much of it on a daily basis. New two rand and five rand coins are going to be released. We'll give a brief description of, description of that coming forward. I think August is basically the release date for them, but they were coming out this year to celebrate the, the 25th anniversary of, well, we supposedly got democracy here in South Africa, but whether or not uh, the people are empowered uh, is another matter. You can We can talk that on another day. Safari One, South Africa's only nuclear reactor needs replacing. Uh, these are the worrying sounds coming out of uh, a strike uh, pending at NEXA, the National Energy uh, Corporation of South Africa, um, uh, demanding that uh, either government uh, get it going again or turn around what they accuse the government of doing of deliberately trying to close him down. The reserve banks in other emerging markets. Now, 
every day I'm putting up a glossary of uh, all the business news in South Africa from all the different various websites with a brief little synopsis of uh, how markets are looking at the present moment early in the morning. So uh, if you want to go there rather than having to switch in between all the various different news sites or like, uh, you know, trying to keep your business day newspaper tucked under your arm like you're some um, uh, trendy hipster. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like it's, it's quite retro nowadays. You get hipsters. Um, are, are hipsters jaded nowadays? Well, they're, they're, you know, those guys with a funny knot of hair at the top of their head with the long and inappropriate beard. Um, you know, it's only fashion. It was quite strange being in Ireland a few years ago, walking around with a big beard and walking past these hipsters with my torpy on my head. <laughs> oh, yeah? you got a big beard, really? For how long are you going to have that beard? Huh? You call it real? <laughs> you know, <laughs> they give me a funny look, I must say. It was really interesting, uh, really interesting to see because for so many years in South Africa, you know, being a white guy and a revert to Islam, um, I just decided uh, I was going to grow this beard. And people go, why are you growing that beard? Why are you growing that beard? You know, I've got a top in my head. Why do you think I'm growing this beard? I'm a Muslim. Um, no, it looks terrible. You look so much better. With, oh, I mean, you look so much nicer without a beard. Mm, yeah, yeah, well, anyway, I'm going to beard. I'm a Muslim. Uh, you know, and then, like, you know, you get all the kind of criticisms and comments, you know. Oh, Allah Ta'ala really does put you to the test, doesn't he? Uh, and you're like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try and I'll trim it and keep it short. I'll, I'll try and keep my, like, you know, those a thin little moustache, the, you know, the trendy kind of, like, uh, cuts around the, underneath the lower lip, you know, those little patches on either side. Uh, and, uh, you know, my, my beard just never, ever looked any good. Um, uh, and eventually I just decided, you know what? It doesn't do any good to kind of like, uh, you know, please everyone. You're going to end up pleasing no one. So please the only one. I'm going to please a lot. I'm just going to let this beard grow. Um, by then I'd been relegated to a backroom subbing job at the Star newspaper. Shocked that the... Uh, night editor of their business publication would suddenly become a journalist. This was while the newspaper was uh, still owned by Tony O'Reilly. But we did have a, a Muslim editor, whose name I'm not going to mention, um, as the editor of The Star. And boy, I was really taking a heavy stick at The Star newspaper, um, uh, pulling into my, my, my uh, backroom subbing job, hidden away from sight. You can't allow a person like that to go out and represent the newspaper at news conferences and so on. So, yeah, the only job they could really trust me with was uh, being, a, being a backroom sub, uh, fixing other people's copy, um, which I, I didn't mind because you had the... the no, really, I am. Well, look, you know what? That's all got to do with background and so on. But I did have uh, the, the Cack Street Masjid directly opposite from the star, and so the, the Salah was much easier and so on. And so I held out for a while um, with a very big beard. And so that beard grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. Well, uh, you know, after like, you know, a year of uh, unrestrained growth, I had, a, I had a, a beard that was really reaching down right at the bottom of my chest, um, just there at the solar plexus, there where the heart is. Well, it keep me heart warm in winter, you know. Um... Uh, my mother would complain about it. I'd say, ah, mom, you know, some of the ladies, they just love it shaggy. Um, but that was just a joke. Um, I really did have a very lonely period for, for, for 12 years of Islam before I got married. Mm, yeah, yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it. I won't say any more about that. Um, and, uh, yeah, 
Then I discovered that when I went and you have my beard trimmed, that in actual fact you, you're supposed to just let the uh, all of the top hair grow down and then you just cut it around the edge. And uh, your beard looks lovely. Um, instead of, you see, when you keep on trimming it and you're cutting all the upper upper hairs, uh, you end up with these hairs like sticking out at all kinds of different angles. You've actually got to let the weight of all the hair, uh, let it hang down. And uh, that is the secret of a lovely beard. Uh, you only cut on the edge and you let it grow. And uh, you keep it fist, fist length. Uh, away will show you the way. Yeah. So anyway, if we have time, uh, a little bit late in the show, we will be looking at. Uh, well, you see, the reason why I started talking about that and talking about the fact that I'm now publishing this on Marcus um, Sahaba's website every day, a synopsis of all of the the, the business news stories in South Africa. Um, and inshallah, as as the time goes on, and uh, I really get into it, uh, we'll be broadening our scope to include uh, Asian markets too. So uh, yeah, we'll be getting news from India, China, the Malaysia, and so on. Um, because you know, when South Africa is waking up, Asia's already been up for like uh, six to eight hours. Yeah, India three and a half hours, and um, there's a lot of catching up to do. So, uh, yeah, um, while I was going through the news today, I had so many of the websites, you know, Ace Magashuli really set a cat among the pigeons last week, Monday, when he suggested that we uh, embark on uh, um, quantitative easing in South Africa. We start to get our Reserve Bank to start throwing billions and trillions of rands at, at government for government spending, uh, which I must admit is a very bad idea, given the spending habits of our politicians right now. But given the fact that uh, white people would just not be able to accept something like that, you know, when white people have the exclusive zones, they don't like black people coming in and taking over as though they've been there all the time, which is exactly what would happen if uh, South Africa, an emerging market little, um, you know, what the, the Donald Trump calls us something whole countries, um, you know. Suddenly we start doing quantitative easing and we expect the international markets to continue accepting the rand as a valid currency. Uh, as soon as they say we will refuse to accept it as a valid currency, we can start saying, but then you know, the United States dollar is also an invalid currency. So for that reason, I've actually put an article up on uh, Marcus Sahaba's website saying this is why I would support Ace Magashule. You can go and read it at your leisure. And inshallah, every single day, uh, well, Monday to Friday, uh, we'll be bringing out a synopsis of all the other business news in South Africa with, of course, our own special bent that we have on it as well. So anyway, while I was going through all of this and preparing this for the website this morning, I was struck by you know how many uh, of uh, the mainstream media, the MSM, is uh, like a clustering around the, the, what they perceive as an attack on the Reserve Bank and in actual fact an assault on white privilege. Um, and, uh, you know, they're all full of, this is a terrible idea. Don't attack the Reserve Bank. Re leave the Reserve Bank alone. Reserve Bank Bank's independence is sacrosanct. And I'm thinking to myself, when is the South African Reserve Bank going to be independent? Like, you know, you know, as long as it's like serving uh, the, the, the corporate interests uh, who pay the advertising for the white corporate um, uh, business and uh, media environment, I know they get very upset. They say, but we've like, like, got black editors and so on. Yeah, yeah, you know, a little freckle on the white face of business journalism. I'm supposed to say that they're no longer representing white interests. <laughs> oh, ha, 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 ha. Mm. Oh, boy. Boy, and we still haven't got into explaining what we've got coming up in the show. We haven't even started getting into the show, and it's already like 21 minutes into the show. So anyway, um, so um, uh, Reuters then, uh, in a contrarian spirit, 
uh, in actual fact, brought out uh, uh, an article looking, uh, and well done, Reuters, give me a pat on the head. Um, I still deny that you're a journalism outlet, but as long as like 30% of all currency trades are moving through your trading platform, how can you be part of the market and claim to be reporting impartially on the market, particularly with currencies and particularly with the RAND, which is like basically a rent boy of the, of the, big, of the big currencies. So I, I still deny, Reuters, despite giving you a pat on the head, that you are a journalism outlet. But anyway, um, uh, and, uh, a reporter at Reuters saw fit to go, and well, no, let's see other emerging market reserve banks. What are they doing? Now, you see, now that, now, now that was a rational kind of uh, reaction. That's the way, you know, a business outlet, a business journalism in South Africa is supposed to be. But it can't be like that because then they're going to alienate uh, their advertisers. Uh, we're all big uh, white businessmen who really wish they could leave the country. Unfortunately, they've got to dig holes in the ground to get the stuff out of the ground, and they can't move those holes in the ground to other places. So they stuck with us, you see. Uh, but nevertheless, they keep on spilling their vitriol and poison into um, our business environment. <sighs> okay, look, you know what? I agree. Yes, I agree. There are some good honest white businessmen in South Africa and uh, a lot of them need to be supported but while the overall kind of voice of white business in South Africa is going the way it is going and refuses to countenance alternatives to our economic direction then we are headed uh, towards oblivion and uh, Armageddon I'm afraid we, uh, we cannot continue on this course this course is not working and it is a white man's course it's a white man's course with a black man's reaction, and, you know, there's no rationality going into anything. And, and this is seen in uh, the MSM, the mainstream media's reaction to Ace Magushule's call. This is an attack on independence of the Reserve Bank. And as I say, when has the Reserve Bank of South Africa ever been independent of its corporate influences and interests and shareholders? Never. Not once. When has the Reserve Bank acted in the interests of common voters in South Africa, the common citizen? What representation does the common citizen have on the Reserve Bank in South Africa? As long as the Reserve Bank is independent of uh, the political parties that are running parliament, then as far as the white journalists, including the black journalists, I also call them white journalists uh, in business journalism in South Africa, as long as the Reserve Bank is only representing the corporate interest in South Africa, it is not independent. And mainstream media business journalism is also not independent. That is the reason why business journalists in South Africa would say that the Reserve Bank is independent. It is not independent and never has been. The Reserve Bank has only four million dollar, uh, four million ounces of gold worth around about five billion dollars uh, on its books. And this country has produced more than 50% of all gold mined in human history. And we say that a reserve bank is independent. A reserve bank in November raised interest rates. When we had just entered two, um, we had just entered official recession after two successive quarters of negative growth. Our reserve bank raised interest rates, you know. Um, we're into recession. That's not a sign of a market overheating. Why did Lesetia Chaniago, the governor of the Reserve Bank, raise interest rates in November when we had just entered recession? That's not independence. 
That's following the needs of traders on the JSE, who like less than 0.0001% of this country's population. That's representing the interests of chief executives. That's like even smaller percentage representation of our country. You know, it's bankers and their shareholders. And there's no ways that that can have been said to have been an independent decision. Yes, we're getting money coming into the country. We're keeping portfolio inflows coming into our country because they carry traders and the lazy, overfed and overpampered consumers in America can take out loans at 0% and bring it here and live off the interest here in South Africa. So we have to keep a high interest rate. Consumers have to be put under the whip. Marriages must be broken up. Houses must be taken away. Children, their hearts must be broken so that we can raise interest rates in South Africa. And these are the costs of interest rates. Manipulation. Um, and, you know, so this morning, Lesetia Kanyago is going on about, you know, uh, monetary policy is no means of managing an economy. And what the heck did he think he was doing in November? Managing the economy on whose behalf? On whose behalf? Let's sit here. It wasn't on behalf on my behalf. And I mean, you know, just in terms of my own life, that'd be enough reason to say. But you're not independent. You didn't represent me. But he didn't represent me and like 47 million other people. We had no representation in that decision. We were put under the whip. Our marriages were put under pressure. Um, our children are going to have to do without. And this is supposedly an independent reserve bank. You just say, maybe we should broaden the scope of the Reserve Bank and now the Reserve Bank is under attack. This is how the mainstream media sees it. What is under attack are the vested interests that the Reserve Bank represents. That is what is under attack. Boy, I didn't intend to talk about any of this. I still haven't got onto, onto my show. I haven't even got to reading the list of things that we're supposed to be talking about. Today, the JSC announced that it's going to be stepping into the Signia Deloitte spat. I meant to talk about that yesterday, but didn't have a chance to. Um, the Signia, represented by that blonde woman, uh, what's her name? Um, Magda, um, an unpronounceable surname, Wiriazika or something. Um, sorry, Magda, if I didn't pronounce it right, we've never met. Um, uh, all I can say is, well, um, good, good, good for you, for your outspokenness. It's a fellow blonde. She's as blonde as I am. Uh, no, in fact, I think I'm maybe a little blonder. Um, uh, good, good for that. Um, nice to see, nice to hear. Um, and I hope that there aren't any vested interests that are actually behind the whole thing. Uh, but uh, it's, it's not something new. Uh, Magda has been an outspoken critic of uh, not just Deloitte, uh, but also KPMG, when KPMG um, uh, was uh, caught up behind a whole lot of these um, state capture revelations. She uh, gave them stick. And uh, then when Deloitte was caught out with the, with the Hewlett um, fudging of property values, uh, exactly as it had been doing with, um, with um, Steinhoff, she said, well, this is too much. We're going to fire Deloitte as our auditors. And when Deloitte heard about it on Monday, uh, or was it Wednesday? Wednesday, rather, when Deloitte heard about it, they announced that they are parting ways with Signia. Kind of like, you know, I'm going to break up with you before you break up with me. Um, and now the mainstream media is in a bit of a bind here because you see Deloitte is part of, like, royalty. You know, it's like accountants are second only to economists when it comes to, like, kowtowing to what they have to say. Um, 
And so here Signe are going and giving a really hefty kick in the in the the uh, um, the, the the sensitives, I suppose, of Deloitte. Um, JC is stepping in and saying, you know, if we find something wrong with Signia, we're going to have to fine you. Uh, go get independence there, JSE. Why don't you go do, do something about Deloitte? Uh, well, Deloitte's not listed on our stock exchange. It's a partnership. Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, so Signia is coming into the spotlight for being so outspoken. It'll be interesting to see what the JSC has to say about all of that. Maybe, who knows? Maybe we'll even get Machna onto the show one day. Um, and uh, also coming up in the show, if we have time, and it doesn't look as though we're going to, uh, SAA reaches even newer lows, um, revelations about um, it's a 15 billion rand tur- um, turnaround, and uh, PMB, uh, this company that was supposed to manage the whole thing, and all the crooked things that went into uh, appointing it uh, to that role as a restructuring expert, when in actual fact it's just been like popped up out of the air, you know, more... Um, uh, limited liability, the, the false veil of the West, hiding uh, the vested interests uh, and the identities of the people behind the corporation, the people behind the political party, the people behind the pension fund, the people behind the soccer club, the people behind the medical aid. Yeah, they just fiddle with these things. And, um, and they, you know, it's amazing. You, you, if you have a look at uh, the American elections over the last, uh, like, um, 20 years, Every time an American election comes about, doesn't matter what the president has been doing, uh, it doesn't matter what the president has been saying, and it doesn't matter how many millions of Muslims they have murdered. They don't decide elections on that. They decide elections on medical aid and pension funds and 401k saving schemes. Do you just fiddle with those little things and you can say, get the voters going anywhere you want them to? So, yeah, uh, anyway. Uh, we'll get. I promise you, we'll get into that long list uh, that I that I that I've given uh, as soon as we come back from this uh, commercial break. We're going to have to be going for a break, and uh, inshallah, don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. You are listening to the voice of Ahlus Sunnah Wal Jamaah. Well, okay. So now. Um, Let's go and have a look. Let's get into the show after, you know, boy, it's Friday, Friday night. And, uh, yeah, well, that's my tirade over for the day. Um, I guess uh, the caffeine from that coffee I brewed a little while back is really starting to kick in. Um, right. So what happened on the JSE today? Uh, the all chain index uh, fell down slightly um, as sentiment turned uh, slightly against emerging markets. International markets don't really know what to do. They really don't know what to do. Uh, one moment they're edging away from emerging markets, then they're edging out of emerging markets. Every time things are looking d- dangerous, uh, they go and buy U.S. treasuries. Every time things are not looking that dangerous, so they start moving into emerging markets. You see, um, uh, the the developed world, I call it the stagnating world, Europe, um, Japan, and the United States, the stagnating world. The world of declining numbers of aging populations and uh, not enough young people to take over. That is uh, the the stagnating economies of the world. The ones that are going to war, well, other than Japan, but Europe and the United States, I don't know how many millions of Muslims they've killed over the last, uh, what's it, 18 years now. Since 2001, invasion of Afghanistan. Not, no, not that they weren't doing it beforehand, but they've really like, started moving into it since then, haven't they? Throwing international law out of the door. 
um, deconstructing all of those uh, institutions like the World Bank, the International Labour Organization, the World Trade Organization, most particularly World Trade, but multilateral institutions like the United Nations have been steadily undermined, particularly by the Red, White and Blue Alliance, as I call them, the United States, Britain and France, all their flags, Red, White and Blue. Uh, so anyway, uh, JSE is down 0.86% uh, today on 58,193 The top 40 is down 0.81% on 53,166.68. However, the rand has recovered, but only marginally, other than, uh, well, against the dollar. Um, 1481 against the dollar, 1868 against the pound, and 18... Uh, no, I'm sorry, um, Four, I'm, look, <laughs> I'm looking at the time. I'm looking at the wrong column. 1481 to the dollar, 1868 to the pound, and 1661 to the dollar. I mean to the euro, 1661 to the euro. So um, a nearly percentage point gain against the pound and the euro, um, uh, 0.37% gain against the dollar. And uh, the gold price is 1348.23. So, staying ahead of the game, as that um, as that promo says uh, just before we start our show, uh, we did say a few weeks ago that we were surprised that gold wasn't going up. We said, well, we think it's a buying, or maybe it's a buying opportunity. That was when it was $1,284 a fine ounce. Uh, since then, it has gained uh, 16 plus 48 is uh, $64. It's gained $64 since then. So if you've been for a quick in-out, you could have made a nice little profit there. Of course, you know, it's, uh, as I've said on the show before, it's very easy to see a uh, profit opportunity coming up on the JSC. It's uh, sometimes easy to see when to get into the JSC, but it's a lot more difficult to say when you get out of the JSC, you know, when you take your profit. And, of course, when you take your profit, there's all things like capital gains, tax, and all of these kinds of things. Uh, so, uh, you know, the more you jump into the market and the more you jump out of it, the more capital gains tax you're going to be paying. All right. Well, um, just so you know, I know like, there's a few uh, professional uh, guys who, uh, you know, some serious businessmen out there who sometimes forced by the wives to listen to listen to Marcus Sahaba. There's that idiot Templeton on again. Oh, boy, if only my wife knew the junk that this guy is saying. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. I know that there are a few serious businessmen out there, and you know, everyone like thinks that they can uh, see which way the market's going and so on. I'm not, I'm not claiming any like prescient abilities or anything like that. Sometimes it's just a matter of logic. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, we 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 did call that gold share, the, the the gold price uh, thing a few weeks ago. Um, so anyway, uh, as well on the on the JSC today, the big gainers are Angler Gold, Togo Sun, Harmony Goldfields, and Shoprite. Uh, Kumba Iron Ore is down, Exaro is down, Sibanya is down, uh, RMIH is down, and AB Inbev. Uh, that's the the Coca Cola South African breweries bottler. Um, uh, they're the big losers on the JSC. Kumba Iron Ore, Exaro, Sibanya, RMIH, and AB Inbev. They're big losers on the JSC today. However, there's, it's not like big, big losers or big, big winners. Uh, Anglo Gold made a big gain, of the biggest gain of 3.68%. Sogosan, um, which has now moved into, is now a gaming-only is a gaming only um, uh, ticker on the JSC. Uh, it hived off uh, this week its, uh, its hotel 
interests. Um, and Soga Sun is doing very well. It appears that uh, the gamblers on the JSC like gambling, so they're putting their money into Soga Sun. However, for uh, Muslim, uh, you know, investors, you could probably look at Soga Sun's hotel interests. Uh, it's now clear of gaming, and it'll be really interesting to see in a year's time. Hmm? We should have a look at this and see how Togo Sun and how its hotel uh, interests are doing this. Uh, it's a Togo Hotel, THL, I think it is, THL, Togo Hotels Limited, I think, THL, uh, is the name of uh, of the hotel ticker. I'm not going to have a look at it right now, but in a year's time, inshallah, if I don't forget, and if maybe somebody rec- reminds me, we'll have a look and see how the, the gamblers have done and how the hotel only... Um, uh, Tikka has done in a year's time. Yeah, so interesting to see uh, Goldfields, uh, Harmony, and Anglegold, all gold producers, doing very well. Uh, but uh, Iron Ore is down, Exaro is down, Sibanya is a gold producer, and it is down. Mm, and now you could say, well, maybe they expose more to international investors than local investors, but that wouldn't be fair because Sibanya is most definitely an internationally focused share. It is down. However, it's also exposed to platinum. Platinum uh, wave stalks are just taking off. And AMCU, um, although people are saying that Joseph Mutunjua, the uh, president of AMCU, has been far more diplomatic in his talk nowadays. He's saying we are entering in negotiations and so on. Uh, he's been more dipl- diplomatic than he was in, like, say, 2003, 2004. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they're demanding 17,000 rand basic salary. For platinum miners, they say that platinum mine price has been going up. Um, the, uh, the 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 big uh, the, the big guys, Anglo Platinum and um, Impala Platinum, have been doing really well. Subania is still struggling because it's got deep, uh, expensive uh, operations, more more expensive than Impala and Anglo Platinum. So that might be a reason why Subania is down today. Um, yeah, so those gold gold producers are uh, doing very well, other than Sibanya, and maybe because it's also focused on platinum. Uh, platinum price also shifted a little bit up today, if my memory serves me correctly. It's been sitting at $108 of fine ounce for a while. It was up to 112 this morning. I don't know where it is at the moment. Um, I guess we could just find out quickly for you, um, and we'll have a look. Uh, platinum, $804. Oh, so it's actually gone down. Well, there you go. That might be the reason why um, why uh, Sibanya isn't uh, following its peers in the gold sector. Kumba Iron Ore, uh, very much uh, internationally focused. Now, you see, the funny thing is Iron Ore went up uh, Thursday. Uh, that's after China announced it's going to be making a whole lot of extensions and infrastructure investments uh, on uh, local government level. Uh, and whenever you're making investments in infrastructure, iron ore, iron ore, steel is a necessary part of all of that to give, you know, strength to buildings and so on. And uh, so, you know, a country will, will be consuming a whole lot more iron ore uh, to make steel. Uh, so iron ore prices actually went up yesterday. I don't know what they've done today. And I'm not going to have a look because now we're spending too much time on the JSC and we've done nothing about going forward with the uh, list of things that we want to talk about. Hmm. Maybe I should just like continue this um, business program for two hours um, and forget the legal affairs show. Uh, but anyway, okay. Uh, exploding oil prices, exploding tankers, exploding presidents, and a jaded public. 
Well, that's all about the oil tankers exploding in the Gulf of Oman. What's happened to the oil price since then? What's happened to the gold price? What's happened to Donald Trump since then? Uh, and uh, countries jockeying for position to be at the helm of oil prices in World War Three. Mm. Okay, we'll leave that for this for uh, the eight to nine show uh, because uh, we'll also be looking at the Caspian Sea, uh, uh, Russia and Iran. And a negotiation be going on with that because it all, 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 how all of that is going to work out is coming down to international and public law in terms of uh, the rights of literal states on the side of, of a sea as opposed to the rights of literal states on the side of an inland lake. And why Russia wanted to be an inland lake and why Iran wanted to be an inland sea. And uh, what differences it makes. Uh, it'd be very inter- interesting for us in South Africa, particularly given uh, the discovery of oil of our coast, the Barul Pada uh, oil field uh, discovered by Total. Most unfortunate that the French are there, um, I must say. Uh, but uh, as, be that as it may, uh, it's going to take about eight years for that oil to get onto shore. But uh, nevertheless, it all can all just come down to fishing rights. Uh, the marine economy. Remember, remember the blue economy, the marine economy. Oh, Jacob Zuma was trying to distract uh, attention. Well, in actual, maybe it wasn't that. You know, the mainstream media hasn't got behind any of the government's uh, economic drives and initiatives. Um, to the expense of, of of newspapers, I must say. Anyway, okay, so we, we, we'll do that. Uh, we'll do oil uh, and... Um, uh, all of that in the, in the legal affairs program, as well as giving an introduction, inviting people to call. Please do call. Please do call. It's a friendly show. Um, you know, oil. You know, lawyers and things. People tend to get a bit turned off with uh, the legalese and so on. I like to think I'm a, I'm a more of a common man than than, than most kind of legal eagles. Um, I suppose I'm more like a legal sparrow. But um, yeah, we 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 will do that from eight to nine instead. Um, more than half the shares on the JSC have lost their value over the past year. What does that mean for your pension fund? What does that mean for you? Does it mean that the uh, that the oil market is now no longer the the, the JSC is no longer valid exchange? Uh, people taking money out of it. It may well be so, but um, <clears throat> we'll be looking at that in just a few moments because I rather what I want to talk about is this article today uh, coming out of Bloomberg's. Uh, Europe wanted a consumer technology giant to rival Silicon Valley. It's getting one, along with a California-style disregard for public investors. Yeah, the Buddha Mafia is about to hit Amsterdam. When Naspers Limited lists its technology investing unit in Amsterdam next month. Wow, so the government must have been given go-ahead for all of this already, to take all of that money, a trillion, more than a trillion rands overseas. Um, when NASPAS lists its technology investing unit in Amsterdam next month, the new company will have a market capitalization that's likely to top $100 billion, a valuation derived entirely from its 31% stake in Tencent Holdings. The parent trades at a discount to the value of its holding in the, giant, in the Chinese web giant. But NASPAS will also bring with it a dual shareholding structure to match or even exceed the worst practices of tech behemoths such as Facebook, Google, and Alphabet. It's a holdover of Naspass's current setup, where the two classes of stock give the chairman and his cronies extra voting rights. His rationale lies in the Cape Town-based company's origins as an Afrikaans newspaper owner, the mouthpiece of apartheid. 
Like the New York Times, which has a similar structure, the arrangement is supposed to ensure editorial independence by preventing malign influence from building up a stake and trying to dictate editorial policy. But it also makes it more difficult for shareholders to hold management to account. Um, however, much sense that makes for journalists, it's hard to see how the safeguards are needed for investors in food delivery and e-commerce startups, which is where the new company is directing its funds. Even the argument that a guarantee of independence is required for its stake in Russian social media and messaging platform MailRU seems pretty thin. Nuspass is adamant that a multiplicity of shareholders are represented in the two main holding companies that control the firm and that their main objective is to preserve its independence. That's what Nuspass says. I would tend to say that it's in actual fact uh, it's a throwback to its apartheid mentality and I just never ever really got rid of it, did it? Anyway, Nuspass is listing about a quarter of the new firm known as Nuco for now and retaining the rest while an exchange-traded N-class share in Nuco will confer one vote to its owner. The holders of the unlisted A-class shares will have 1,000 votes just as they currently do in Johannesburg. Or should Nuspass's vote and interest in the new company drop below 50%? Dual classes of shares aren't uncommon, but seldom on this sort of scale. Volkswagen, Ericsson, Altice Europe are among European firms with dual structures, but the voting ratios are generally much, much lower. And they are the exception, not the rule. At Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg and his co-founders have Class B shares, which enjoy 10 times as many votes as the Class A shares that are publicly traded. Nuspass A shares are going to be a thousand times more. I mean, that's just like apartheid mentality for you, if you ask me. That arrangement has provoked dissatisfaction enough as the social network shareholders have been helpless in the face of management missteps over data and privacy. But it looks almost progressive compared to Nuspass, where the voting concentration is 100 times higher, 1,000 to 1. The situation is, there, is exacerbated by the opacity of the, the ownership structure. Basically, you've got an apartheid company coming to Europe, and you better get ready. The super voting shares reside in a series of holding companies. In a legal dispute two years ago, rival firm Caxton alleged that those holding companies were in control, controlled by Naspass chairman Kurt Becker. Yeah. And other veterans of the firm, Fetarana Exe, Apartheid Fetarana, including non-executive director Kurt Stoffberg. Irrespective of who ultimately calls the shots, the point is that we don't quite know. It's thoroughly unsatisfactory. That's according to Bloomberg. What's more, the Silicon Valley firms are controlled by their founders, who are supposed to have a singular corporate vision. While Becker, who I must admit is a bit of a visionary, uh, while Becker and his colleagues helped transform Nuspass, the, term, the firm back, dates back to 2015. Yeah, it's like a hard, hard part of the portals die. Yeah, very, 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 very deep apartheid roots. Becker did not found it. Why he merits more votes is therefore unclear, because he's the only guy with brains at the place. Who has the power to affect this? Without outside pressure, the A-class shareholders will have little incentive to sacrifice control. Investors can complain until they're blue in the face. But if they want to get a piece of 10 cents growth, they know they have to stomach the huge imbalance. Two groups have the ability to push back, the stock exchanges and the index creators. In Hong Kong, for instance, the exchange limits super voting shares to 10 times the vote of normal stock and makes it harder for holders to wield their additional power after they leave the company. 
But Euronext, which owns the Amsterdam Stock Exchange, would risk losing the lucrative NOSPAS listing to a rival if it sought to impose similar structures. Stock offerings generated about 8.6% of its 2018 revenue. Uh, it would also forego the distinction of having such a prominent firm on its exchange. So, like, you know, here in South Africa, we're losing something really, really big. Uh, and we're losing it without any discussion. It's a bit like, you know, when Anglo-American left South Africa. There wasn't much uh, much discussion. Suddenly, Anglo-American was out of South Africa. Business Report at the time had a, had a post that said, uh, Anglo puts it puts its best FTSE forward because it was listing on the FTSE stock exchange. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, you've got more than a trillion rands with apartheid money leaving South Africa in the hands of the Bruderbond, in the hands of the Dutchman. Because, I mean, you can't call them Afrikaners anymore. They always said their roots are in South Africa and in Africa. But now they go again off back to Holland. So I guess we have to start calling them Dutchmen again. So the Dutchmen are leaving South Africa. The black sons of Europe are returning. And uh, boy, I tell you what, um, I've got a feeling in a few years' time, Europe is really going to be regretting it. Uh, but Euronext, which owns the Amsterdam Stock Exchange, would risk losing the lucrative NASPAS listing, says Bloomberg, to a rival if it sought to impose similar structures. Stock offerings generated about 8.6 of its 2018 revenue. It would also forego the distinction of having such a prominent firm on its exchange. In the context, you can see why Euronext is being so spineless. Particularly if you consider how every time, you know, uh, that they overthrow a, a Muslim country, all of the gold ends up in Europe. Hmm? Funny that. Just goes to show. These guys are desperate. There's no growth in Europe. It is, in actual fact, a stagnating pond. A stagnating pond. This is Europe. Um, and they are desperate. So Euronext isn't going to complain uh, because the sons of Europe are returning to roost. Yep, the chickens are coming. And that is why Euronext is being so chicken. The more achievable approach, according to Bloomberg, would be for index operators to exclude firms with dual structures, since no exchange seems likely to push back. But what do you do if you're an index tracker? And our spouse is just doing very well every single year, year after year after year. Standard & Poor's Global has taken that route, which is why SNAP Incorporated, which confers no voting rights whatsoever to ordinary shareholders, <laughs> isn't a constituent of the S&P 500. But it hasn't imposed the same rules on those existing listings with dual stocks. NASPAS's European listing is partly intended to attract index investors. It expects to be newly eligible for nine indices. If the operators of those groupings were to stipulate that the shareholding structure is an obstacle to joining, it would be a positive step. But why, why make a difference just because it's coming from Africa? Come on, Bloomberg, it's money, 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 money. And it will be difficult to persuade startups planning to list in Europe to adopt a structure which represents all shareholders equally when what would be the region's biggest tech firm doesn't. It would risk making poor shareholders' representation de rigueur in Europe. And it's harder to put toothpaste back in the tube than to stop it escaping to begin with. Exchanges and indices have an opportunity to lay down a marker, and they should. And they probably wouldn't. And they won't. That's, that's my call on this whole thing. And us passers will be welcomed with open arms on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange. And everything is going to be super duper. All right, fine. Um, so, over the past year, only a third of South African shares managed to head higher. 
According to Timbuktuan, a financial software company for the investment market, a full 56% of shares on the JSC have declined since June 2018. The remaining companies were unchanged. Oh boy, this is a regular kind of story that appears in the mainstream media. The JSC is doing very badly. And it's, oh, no, it's terrible, it's terrible, it's terrible. Oh, and you know, the rain is falling through the floor. And, oh boy, South Africa, it's over, it's over, it's over. We've just had enough of this bloody ANC. Um... What happens when that happens? The JC suddenly turns around as like, you know, the top performing emerging market uh, stock exchange in the world. Uh, the RAND outdoes all of the other currencies. I think it was, it was about 2016, 2017 when that happened. Uh, so, yeah, um, you know, the stock exchanges go up and down. Uh, although I must say it does look as though we may well be into terminal decline territory this time around. But then again, they said that last time. Okay. But the few local shares that did strengthen did so in spectacular fashion. Now, um, I just want to say that this is Business Insider who is reporting this. Um, uh, and they did so in spectacular fashion. In the single month to mid-June, Goldfield shareholders saw a 38% rise in its share price, while Richemont jumped 20%. And investors in Implants saw a 200% increase in its share price over the past year, as the world's second largest platinum miner benefited from restructuring, increased output, and a palladium price rally. Anglo Gold Ashanti's share price is up almost 90% over the past year, and many of the other strong performers were also in the resources sector, including Goldfields, up 54%, Harmony Gold, 30%, Kumba Iron Ore, 49%, Medair Investments, 34%, Royal Bafeking Platinum, 32%, Northam Platinum, 68%. Altec and Capitec, Altec up 70% and Capitec up 49%, were among the only non-mining gainers. The biggest losers, while there were many property and construction companies among the top decliners over the past year, the declines were spread out over many sectors. So it was basically uh, a, a, a sinking tide, lowering all boats. Timbuktu's analysis shows that these companies show some of the largest declines. These are the biggest losers on the JSE over the last year. Adcock Ingram, 79%. Arrowhead Properties, 46%. Ascendus Health, 52%. Aspen Pharmacare, 60%. IO Technologies, 67%. Baldwin Properties, 45%. Basil Reed, 82%. These are losses. These are down by 82%. Basil Reed is like gone almost. Blue Label Telecoms, down 57%. Brait, down 52%. Wow. Calgary M3 down 53%. Capital and Regional PLC oh, down 70%. Boy, don't invest in property companies. You know, that's where the biggest reports are taking place. Look at Steinhoff. Look at, um, um, what's a sugar producer? Not Hewlett, that's the other one. Um, yeah, they are they, fiddling with property prices. Property prices are the easiest to say. Like I say, you have a patch of ground. You say today it's uh, worth uh, 20 rand. It's just a piece of dirt. Uh, then you say, well, actually, um, uh, we intend to build a shopping center here, even though you don't have any, you don't have any money. You say, I intend to build a shopping center here, so like tomorrow it's like worth 1.5 million. You get it rezoned for shopping center commercial use. And the next moment it's worth 15 million rand and it's still the same piece of ground. Then you say, okay, we're not going to build a shopping center there. You take all the money you've taken from your investors and you disappear. All this game in the book. All this game in the book, I promise you. 
Delta Property Fund is down 65%. CSG Holdings down 59%. Choppies Enterprises down 74%. And so the tale of woe just continues uh, all across. Yes, okay, right here. So the JSE has been doing very badly this year. Hopefully it's going to bounce back. And hopefully it won't be a dead dog, a dead cat bounce either. Um, uh, we've reached the end of the show. Jazakumullah for joining us. So make dua that whatever trading activity you get up to today will be profitable. And above all, halal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.